this uh, afternoon, we have a couple of texts that we will be looking at. The first is Colossians 3, verse 16, which we looked at last time, but we'll also add Philippians 2, uh, verses 5 through 11. So if you could first turn to Colossians 3 and uh, verse 16 to remind us of what we have heard last time as we drill into the Psalms and uh, how they testify to Jesus Christ. And then uh, we will turn after that to Philippians 2. Please give your attention now to the reading of God's holy word, Colossians 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word thus far. Philippians 2, begin in verse 5, and we'll read down to verse 11. Please give your attention once again to the reading of God's holy word. Philippians 2.5 Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. May God bless the reading of his holy word. Let's pray right now for the preaching of it. O our holy God, the name of Jesus is so highly exalted, for you have given him the name that is above every other, Lord, which is Jehovah. And so, Father, we come now to hear preaching on the Lord and his name and how present he is in the psalm book. And we ask, Father, that you would enable the preacher who preaches to preach Christ, Otherwise, these people would profit nothing if these were just his own words. So, Father, we pray that your spirit would overshadow the preacher and that he would preach up Jesus Christ. And we pray for the ears that would hear, that they would behold Jesus Christ and that they would find that their connection to him by faith is ever increased in this time in the preaching of the word, that when they sing the Psalms, Father, that they would enter into the very fellowship of Jesus Christ himself, as these are his words. So bless your people here as they are about to hear the word preached. And we pray, O Lord, that our aim would be to glorify thy Son, that thy Son may glorify thee. For we ask this in his name. Amen. Well, today I want to deal with a particular objection to exclusive psalmody. Uh, which is that we don't get to sing the name of Jesus if we are singing only the Psalms. Now, we have to be understanding when our brethren speak in that way because we do recognize that their great love is for Jesus Christ. And they believe that they need to be singing his name. So we're not here to, to basically chastise them for their desire. But, friends... 
What we want to see is that there's something better than just singing the bare name of Jesus Christ when we sing the Psalms. And originally my intention was to handle all the objections to exclusive psalmody in this one sermon. But as I worked on this particular objection, it became clear that we need to spend time on this objection. Because not only is the objection itself poor, but it misunderstands the Lord. And it misunderstands how we address him. And it misses the point that in the Psalms, we are not just speaking of bare names as in consonants and vowels that are spoken. But in the Psalms, we experience the very presence of Jesus Christ. And in the Psalms, we experience our union with Jesus Christ. In the Psalms, we can have what Paul yearned for, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, Philippians 3, verse 10. Because in the Psalms, you are going to experience the innermost thoughts and the very heart of our Lord. We experience his sufferings. We experience his presence. And we experience him. When we sing the Psalms in the Spirit, in other words, we experience what we call our union with Jesus Christ. He has promised Lo, I am with you always. And in the Psalms, when you sing them by faith, you experience that, beloved. In other words, we are going to meet this objection by showing the people of God that the Psalms give us something far better than saying a pattern of words. And so we'll divide our time into the three headings on your bulletin. The first is to consider the Psalms and the name of Jesus. Second, to consider the Psalms and our union with Jesus. And then to consider the Psalms and the presence of Jesus in them. So first, the Psalms and the name of Jesus. And so in this first heading, I want to handle the name of Jesus. First thing that we have to understand, not a lot of people seem to remember this, is that the name Jesus, as I am saying it now, is not the pronunciation of our Lord's given name, which is more like Yeshua. In Hebrew, his name is closer to our name, Joshua, which means Jehovah is salvation. See, names have meanings, and it's not the consonants and vowels that give them their meaning. There's more to it than that. And what is astonishing about the Lord's name is not the bare sound of it, but that it portends that Jesus is Jehovah come to save us. No one in the English-speaking world, in other words, is really truly singing Jesus' personal name when they're singing their songs. And while we do not directly sing this name in the Psalms, the sentiment of his name, the meaning of his name, is all throughout the psalm book. What are you singing when you sing, Jehovah is my light and my salvation? Psalm 27. Are you not singing that with understanding? Understanding to sing of it is to sing of Jesus Christ. In a way, not to tie Jesus to Psalm 27.1 is to create a division in the personhood of Jesus Christ. That he is not Jehovah. And that he himself is not your salvation. But what is remarkable about Jesus is this. That he is the Son of God the second person of the Trinity, come in flesh. I'm going to return to that a bit later. Keep that in mind. But it is a very low view of Christology 
that leads to this objection, people. But as I speak of Christology, what you can be encouraged with is that the word Christ is all throughout the psalm book, right? Boys and girls, some, sometimes we hear the word Christ and we think that that's like Jesus' last name, right? Jesus Christ. But it's not. It's his title as our Redeemer. The word means the anointed one. It's the Greek equivalent of Messiah. Messiah. And the Holy Ghost himself supplies the connection in John 1.41. When we hear, we have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. Just so we're absolutely clear. It signifies his office as our Redeemer, as our prophet, our priest, and our king that we just sang of in Psalm 110. So he is everywhere in the psalm book as Jehovah, our salvation, but he is also everywhere as our Messiah, come to save us, the Christ. As early as the second psalm you sing, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel against the Lord and against his anointed. That's Christ. His anointed is Christ. Or how clear is this verse about Christ? Behold, O God, our shield, and look upon the face of thine anointed. That's Christ, Psalm 84, verse 9. What are you singing in that? But you're pleading to the Lord, don't look at us in our sinfulness, Lord. No, do not look at us without looking at us through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who is our shield, who is your anointed. That's what you sing. Who is... And we say, he's not our anointed, but he's your anointed, O Lord. He is your Christ who is given for us. Oh, to sing that with understanding, friends. It's such a marvelous psalm. And when you sing of the anointed one in the psalms, you are singing of no one else but Jesus Christ. And it's sad to say that there is a deep biblical illiteracy that has swept the church that prevents us from seeing that. But only, do you think about this? Only 41 verses into John's gospel would teach you this. Just 41 verses would say, we have found the Messiah which is being interpreted the Christ. That gospel that we give to all new believers, maybe you should read this first, isn't it? We would see that Jesus is the Christ. The Lord wants you to know, in other words, this is not hidden knowledge. But in the gospel that is read first, you would know that when you sing of the anointed one, the Christ, you would know you would sing of Jesus. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The Psalms, as we saw last time, are the words of Christ, and they speak of our Messiah. So we do sing of Christ all throughout the, the uh, psalm book. But let's cons- return to a consideration. I said, well, put a pin in it, essentially, and let's return to a consideration of Jesus as Jehovah. Because you must see that Jesus is the Lord, the Lord that you are singing of in the Psalms. Uh, what's the name Jehovah? That's the divine name, isn't it, boys and girls? I am, right? That's the name. It's not directly found, you'll notice this, it's not directly found in your Greek New Testament. In your New Testament, you don't find the divine name as Jehovah. Now, the reason for this, bear with me just a bit, the reason for this is historical, right? In the Greek Old Testament, the divine name was simply translated Lord or Kurios. The Jews handled the divine name this way, and our English Old Testament, you'll notice, keeps that tradition, right? We'll see all caps Lord, 
instead of the divine name spelled out explicitly. But the astute reader of the scripture, as you are, I'm sure, when you see all caps L-O-R-D, you recognize that you are reading the divine name. Now, there's no such feature of capitalization like that in the Greek New Testament in order to distinguish Lord. So when you see Lord in the New Testament, you actually have an interpretive problem. Is this the divine name or is this just Lord as in a master, right? And that's why I want you to consider Philippians 2 this afternoon to see how it deals with the name of Jesus. Because this text actually demolishes the argument that you must sing the English name Jesus. Because the name that now belongs to your Jesus of Nazareth is actually Jehovah. That's the name he's earned as man, God-man. If you turn back to Philippians 2, 6 um, through 11, you'll see that Christ is God. And I think most of us uh, in this congregation are going to see that. You see that Christ is God, but that he humbled himself, taking on the form of a servant and becoming and dying even to the death of the cross. But because of that, his sufferings for his people, God rewarded him with exaltation in verses 10 and 11. God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One of the greatest misconceptions about this verse or this text, is that some think that the name above every other name is Jesus, J-E-S-U-S. But is it? If you read your Old Testament, what is the name that is above every other name? It is Jehovah is the name above every other name. The name of Jesus here, and it's a bit obscured in the English translation. You can go either way when you read it. The name of Jesus has the sense of the name that belongs to Jesus. Right? Not the name of Jesus being J-E-S-U-S, but the name that belongs to Jesus. You know, when it says that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the word Lord there is actually a reference to the divine name, Jehovah. You have to interpret it that way, that every tongue will confess one day that Jesus Christ is God, that he is Jehovah. You must interpret it this way because this text is simply citing Isaiah 45, Verse 23, which says that unto me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. And if you read it in context, you find that the speaker of that is Jehovah. So the mystery really of the gospel is revealed in the New Testament that Jesus Christ is Jehovah. Right? And his exaltation, you think of it, right? that the Father has given him the right to take that name because of his work. And you sing of Jesus' resurrection and exaltation when you call him Lord. As God, he was always Jehovah. But now he is exalted as God-man with that name. For you remember, it is the name I am, right, that is above every other. He called himself that seven times in the Gospels. So that you would know it is not Jesus' taking on of it himself. Philippians 2 says the Father has given him the right to take that name. What, that's why the Jews wanted to stone him. What man has the right to take on I am? 
He has the name above every other because of his humiliation and his exaltation, friends. And so you must sing psalms with that understanding. Your tongue is confessing that Jesus Christ is Jehovah to the glory of God the Father. And what's amazing about that is, right, in the Bible, God says he will not share his glory with another. He won't. So this text in Philippians 2 is just proof again that Jesus Christ is God. Because he is called Lord to the glory of God the Father. And a sidebar on names in the Bible before I forget. In the Bible, names are not so much placeholders to address a person. Like, uh, I, I call our, our, we called our dog Sam, right? And we just gave him a name as a, as a placeholder. Uh, but names in the Bible are about the character and work of a person. Which is why when the name of God is given in Exodus 34, he gives his attributes. You remember that? Merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, upon the children's children, unto the third and to the fourth generation. He told Moses, this is my name. And when you sing of the character and attributes of the Lord in the Psalms, you are singing of Jesus, who he is and what he has done. But also, and this is something that in, current, in the current church climate has, has sort of fallen away in our thinking, where Jesus is our chum and our buddy, but he's our Lord. For your spiritual practice, I also want you to see that in prayer and in singing, it is more proper to address Jesus as Lord and not Jesus directly as Jesus. That often shocks people. But if you look at the example of Scripture, when he is spoken of, like when I speak of Jesus, I say Jesus, right? But when he is directly addressed to, directly spoken to, his disciples call him Lord which is what we should do in prayer and in singing praise. He is always directly addressed as Lord. Matthew 8.25, there's so many examples, so I'm just going to give you a few to put in your mind. Matthew 8.25, Lord, save us, we perish. John 20.28, Thomas says, my Lord and my God. The leper from this morning, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. John 21.27, in a moment of such intimacy with Peter, Jesus asked, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? How did Peter respond? Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest I love thee. He did not say, Jesus, I, you know I love you. He said, Lord, thou knowest all things. The only time I can find the name of Jesus used directly in an address to him is the final prayer of the Bible. Even so, come, Lord, Jesus, but still not disassociated from Lord. In other words, it seems most proper when addressing Jesus Christ to address him and speak to him and sing to him as Lord. That's his name. He's earned it by way of his sufferings, especially. You know, many of you call me, just even me, um, pastor, and you don't call me wrong when you talk to me. I've never demanded that of you, by the way, but you do it freely out of respect and love. If you met our governor, I doubt you'd walk into his office and say, hey, Greg, right? So why do we want to address our Lord so casually as Jesus? 
It must be, must be, our lack of sense of presence of Christ. The unbelief and weakness of our faith to not perceive the grandeur of the Lord that we have just heard of in Philippians 2. When our eyes tell us that we must call a mere man pastor or governor, yet our faith refuses to speak to our Lord and our Savior as Lord. When John was in the presence of Jesus Christ in the Revelation, he fell at his feet as though dead. By faith, friends, my exhortation is that you would see the holiness and majesty of Jesus Christ and you would address Jesus in singing or in prayer with the name he has earned, Lord. So, speaking on this idea that our faith often lacks the presence of Christ, though we often are in awe of men we see with our eyes, let's consider our second heading, the Psalms and our union with Jesus. You know, a great blessing of singing the Psalms is that they enable, they enable you to experience your union with Jesus Christ. That we are in him, that he is in us, that you have a living and a vital union with your Lord, that he speaks to you as he does in John 15 and elsewhere in the scripture, where in John 15 he said, I am the vine and you are the branches. In that chapter he said, abide me and I in you. He lives, friends. You live in him by faith and he lives in you by his spirit. There is a connection between Jesus Christ and his people. There is a fellowship with him. And no human composed him will ever enable you to enter into his heart and mind. Only the Psalms can enable you to enter into his thoughts and even into his experience. Again, remember the yearning of Paul that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Do you want to know him? And do you want to fellowship with him, beloved? Will you not sing these psalms that bring you into his own experience if you would sing them by faith? They bring you into his heart. They bring you into his mind. In the mornings we have been going uh, through the gospel according to Luke. And even this morning we have loved watching our Lord as he has worked all things for our salvation. We see his tenderness. We see his compassion. We see his power and we are going to see his suffering. All very good but in the third person. But the Psalms are often Christ in the first person, friends, bringing us into his very soul in our union with him, to fellowship with him. What else are you doing when you sing Psalm 22? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why so far art thou from helping me? What are you doing when you sing the Psalm of the Cross? You are entering the sufferings of Jesus for you when you sing it. Or what do you sing when you sing Psalm 41, verse 9? Yea, even mine own familiar friend, on whom I did rely, who ate my bread, even he his heel lifted against me high. What are you singing of? The heart of, his, of your Lord, his mind and his experience of being betrayed by Judas. You're not singing about yourself, friend. Or are you singing about yourself when you say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? No, friends. You're singing of your Savior's suffering for you. And you're entering into his sufferings. You are singing of him, yes, but you're also singing in him. And what can you sing better than that, friends? Absolutely nothing. And let me remind you, no man, 
dare write a song about Jesus in the first person. Unless the Holy Ghost penned it. There are other psalms like this. Others tell us we're not singing the name of Jesus in the psalms. I've dealt with that. But what a crushing loss to never enter Christ's soul when you don't sing the psalms. Or how about when he leads the praise of our congregation even now? Psalm 22, verse 22. Who are you singing? Who is singing here? I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. You remember Hebrews 2.12 cited it to show that Christ is not ashamed to call us brethren. Jehovah in the flesh is not ashamed to call us brethren, and that's remarkable. And he is the one who is our divine praise leader. He is the one who praises God. I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. And what else do you think he's praising God with? But the very word of God, friends. Psalm 22 teaches that as well. A bit obscured in the authorized version. Psalm twenty-two twenty-five. My praise, it says, the authorized version, my praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. Now shall be are in italics as they were supplied by the translators. But it really ought to be, my praise shall come from thee. My praise shall come from thee. My praise is supplied by you, O God, is what Jesus is saying when he is singing this psalm with us. And that's how Calvin sees it. He writes, I don't reject the other translation, but in my opinion, the Hebrew manner of expression here requires this sense that David will take the matter of his song of praise from God. And that's how our, our book of Psalms for Worship translates it. I will sing praise that you have supplied. It's also how other translations like the MEV, the NASB, and the ESV translate it as well. And looking at the grammar, that seems to be the sense there. Which is fitting, isn't it, friends? That if Jesus Christ is singing praise in the congregation, he would sing nothing else but what God has supplied, which is the word of God. Would you be assured that Jesus Christ is singing with us when we give him praise from men? I would not want to stake my soul on it. Remember last time we asked about that hymn, Away in a Manger. Would our Lord Jesus, think of this, sing Away in the Manger with us? Would he praise God by saying, The little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes? Might he not say, I cried, I had to cry, for I am very man as well as very God, or else I could not represent my people as I represent them now as I sing praise? Would Jesus sing what is not true of himself? No, by no means, friends. All that said, what is astonishing is that when you pick up these psalms by faith, you know for certain that Jesus Christ is singing with you. There's no doubt about it, friends. You enter his own experience, you enter his own praise, and oh, to have the faith to know all of that. That even now, as we were singing, we sang Psalm 110. And how glorious it is that if by faith you would perceive that he sings that praise to God for us and we are his brethren that he leads in praise. We in him by faith then are praising the Lord acceptably through Christ. He is our mediator even in sung praise. 
And what joy there is in knowing he sings for us and with us, and we sing in him, and that our praises are made acceptable because we are in him. Truly, these are things that the angels must long to look into, friends. The God-man praising God for his people, and we joining in by faith. As he says to God, these are my brethren that I am not ashamed of. He stands between, as the bridge between God and man in these psalms. Beloved, such wonderful and such holy things are found in the word of God. And you must experience them yourself by faith. And you know, one other characteristic of the psalms as we consider Jesus Christ, one other characteristic of the psalms that no man-made hymn can give you is that these psalms are also not just Jesus singing to God, but Jesus speaking to us at the same time, right? They are prophetic words, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, Romans 9, uh, Revelation 19.10. That means, beloved, that he speaks to you and even sings to you in the Psalms as well. They are, as Song of Solomon 2.8 says, the voice of my beloved. Look, listen to how he speaks to us and sings in the marriage psalm. Listen, O daughter, give attention and incline your ear. Forget your people and your father's house. Then the king will desire your beauty because he is your Lord. Bow down to him. Psalm 45 verses 10 and 11. He also sings words to comfort you that he will defend you as well. He says to you, beloved, fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Psalm 37. Do you see how he's also singing to us? And he is uh, exhorting us in these psalms. You must see these words then as the words of Jesus to yourself as he is united to you and he speaks to you in it. And how can any man write such words? And when the scripture speaks of our union with Jesus this way and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus, Ephesians 2, 6 and 7. Do we not perceive as we have sung Psalm 110 then our union with Jesus Christ? Or in Psalm 2, when the Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand, uh, sorry, Psalm 110, until I make thine enemies my footstool. Do you not see that you're united to him and you are seated in the heavenly places with Christ as well? Let me exhort you to be a student of the scripture, friends, if you're going to sing the Psalms, so that you can sing the Psalms with understanding and you can experience your union with Jesus Christ through them. You know, a whole new dimension of praise will open up to you if you would simply see your union with Jesus Christ. You would see him in these psalms, speaking to you, singing to God for you, entering into his sufferings as well as his glories. And you will by faith experience your living connection to Christ if you would sing them with faith and understanding. But you must do it in that way. You must not just pick up your psalm book and just start singing with unintelligent words coming out of your mouth. You must sing them understanding and meditating on the words that you sing. And oh, how blessed you will be 
in your devotional time. How blessed you will be in the singing of praises in the public worship of God. And how blessed you will be as a family singing them together and singing in Jesus. It's a wonderful experience. So many people are looking for an experience of the Lord. But it is faith through a renewing of our minds through the singing of the psalms that enable us to really, truly experience Christ. And so with that, our final heading this afternoon, the psalms and the presence of Jesus. Now, I've recommended to some of you, uh, I even had a conversation with a brother earlier, uh, the book The Abiding Presence by Hugh Martin. He's a 19th century free church minister, the first actually to be licensed after the disruption. But in The Abiding Presence... He rightly notes that the Gospels are the biography of Jesus Christ. Matthew opens like this, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ. But uh, Martin reminds us of a great truth, that unlike, say, the biography of a Henry Ford, which ends with his death, and the biography is just our remembrance of the man, maybe a few things we can learn from the man, the Gospel is not the remains of our memories of Jesus, Because it ends with his resurrection. And Matthew ends with these precious words. Lo, I am with you always. That's the abiding presence of Jesus Christ and his people. That he's with us always. This is not a book of remembrance of a dead man. This is a living Savior who is always with his people. But are Christ's words, few connect this, Aren't Christ's words at the end of the Gospels just a reiteration of that most famous psalm? Boys and girls, do you remember what psalm it is that I'm alluding to? Is it not Psalm 23? I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. He is always with you, friends. The truth of that psalm is seen in Matthew's Gospel, that whether in green pastures, or when evil surrounds you, or when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, in every case, his presence is there, his goodness and his mercy pursuing you each day. That psalm is found in the words of Christ, Lo, I am with you always. And one reason Psalm 23 is so captivating, I think, to the people of God, whether they're psalm singers or not, is that it gives us that tangible sense of the abiding presence of Jesus Christ. So many have read it at their funeral or have read it at their final moments on earth. And I'll ask you, has anyone ever complained that the name of Jesus is not in it? No. Why? Because they see that this is a psalm about their good shepherd who said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. In other words, he demonstrates that you do not need the name J-E-S-U-S in it to know that it is about Jesus. Now, do you? Now, you need to take that truth and apply it to the other 149 Psalms, beloved. Yes, the Psalms are a tremendous devotional book. Yes, it is Christ's own testimony to the many ways he is with you. But also, friends, you must see that these Psalms are filled with Christ's presence. These are the words of Christ that he says will dwell in you richly. And the words really have no power. They have no unction unless the presence of Christ by his Holy Spirit were in them. 
That's really the thing, friends. That's why a man who has memorized the 23rd Psalm without any faith profits nothing from it. It must be met with faith and the Holy Spirit. These are the words of Jesus Christ. And when you apprehend that by faith, he will dwell in you richly. He is with you always. And you must see then that these psalms, unlike hymns, are not our own sentimentality towards Christ, but he himself is present in them. He himself. And by the Holy Spirit, Christ will manifest his presence in them in your heart. So, beloved, to have a deep communion with Christ, you must sing the psalms not only in public worship, but also in your private and your family devotions. I know that many of you desire to draw nearer to Jesus. You must pick up your Psalter often. When you suffer, friends, it is your fellowship with Christ's sufferings in the Psalms that will make you sing, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But what you're doing in that, friends, is you're entering into communion with Jesus Christ. And he reminds you in that that whatever you suffer, you have not suffered as your Savior has suffered. That he has suffered greater sufferings on your behalf because he loves you. And whatever he is calling you to endure, because he suffered for you, when you sing, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You know you are singing of him and not of you. Meaning that you know because he was forsaken by the Father, you never will be. And that union with Christ by faith and the presence of Christ and the assurance of that will make you suffer well in your time of need. The psalm book is, as Calvin said, the anatomy of the soul. It speaks to every condition and every emotion that God has given to man. And so I encourage you to turn to the psalms, whatever you are feeling, but not just to put them on your fridge or put them on your coffee table, but to sing them in Christ and to see Christ in them. Maybe you have not studied them well enough to know where to go. And that's really a chastisement on the contemporary church in some ways. So I want to tell you then that, um, for instance, the Blue Psalter has a topical index. I don't know how often you've used it. It's very, very helpful. There's a nice big list of biblical topics here that you can use no matter what you're going through, friends, or what you're facing. There is a psalm for every situation, for every praise. And how do we know that? Because the word of God is utterly perfect and complete, able to equip you for every good work, to make the man of God perfect. And so there is a psalm for it. In other words, God wasn't dependent on men writing songs for you. He has given you everything you need because God would not and did not give you an incomplete psalm book. For every experience of the Christian, there is a psalm. Let's say you're mired in the pit of your sin. You can look up in the back of that topical index about sin, and there's a psalm for that many of them, such as Psalm 40, where you can sing, Mine iniquities have taken hold upon me so that I am not able to look up. And you also need to hear what else the psalm says as Jesus speaks in this psalm. Who's speaking in Psalm 40 when he says, Then said I, Lo, I come 
in the volume of the book it is written of me. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. I have preached righteousness in the great congregation. My iniquities have taken over my head. And I sing of Jesus Christ who attests to me that I delight to do thy will, O God. Thy law is in my heart. And I see that it is not my law keeping that has saved me, but Jesus Christ who has. And what a word it is to hear that in first person when you sing. The assurance that comes. And you remember then as the psalm continues on, singing of the Lord, that he has brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Because Jesus Christ has come to save me. And what a wonderful promises there as you sing about your sins. But I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinketh upon me. Thou art my help and my deliverer. All of that is in Psalm 40, friends. You see your struggle with sin. You see a Redeemer who has come to save you, and you find that the Lord thinks on me, even though I am a sinner. Friends, that's the faith you must sing the Psalms with, and that's the joy that you must sing them with too. You see your Savior come to fulfill the law, that because I don't follow his will, a Savior has come from the heavens that says, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. And he says, I have preached my righteousness in the great congregation, in the church, so that these who have had their iniquities take hold of them can be saved, so that our feet are now set on Christ, our rock. But there are also psalms of great joy. Let all those who put their trust in thee rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy, because thou defendest them. Let them also that love thy name be joyful in thee. Psalm 5. There are psalms to mourn with. Psalm 38. For my loins are filled with a loathsome disease, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and sore broken. I have roared by reason of the disquietness of my heart. And how we can almost imagine that the leper this morning would have sung that. And that psalm still reminds you of Jesus. For in thee, O Lord, do I hope. Thou wilt hear, O Lord my God. Again, could you imagine the leper having Psalm 38 in his heart and his mind? For in thee, O Lord, do I hope. Thou wilt hear, O Lord my God. And you're singing to Jesus as Thomas cried out. It's the same expression, my Lord and my God. It's sad, friends, that a lot of Christian people chase after an experience of the Lord. They roll around on the floor like wild beasts. They yell gibberish, seeking to chase after an experience of Christ. They work themselves up in contemporary worship, jumping up and down like in a rock concert. But the solemn and joyful singing of psalms is where Christ has promised to meet you. It was Baal's worshipers who had to whip themselves up in a frenzy. You do not, because it is Christ's promise and pledge to be present in the word of God. But only by faith and understanding will you gain this experience when singing, beloved. That's why when I open up my preaching on a psalm, I always open up with the apostolic exhortation that I will sing with the spirit and I will sing with the understanding also, 
1 Corinthians 14, 15. Faith, singing with the Spirit, must be met with faith, singing with understanding. When both come together, as I've just briefly treated Psalm 40, Psalm 23, Psalm 22, and others, when both come together, singing the songs of the Spirit with understanding of how Jesus is in them, you will find great joy and you will find the presence of the Lord that you are longing for and cannot find elsewhere. And if you need help in singing with understanding, uh, I'd encourage uh, you to look for John Brown of Haddington's notes on the Psalms. Uh, You can find them for free on the internet. Um, For each psalm, he gives comments on the text itself, but he also adds commentary on how you might sing them afterwards. For instance, he writes of Psalm 2. Listen to this. While I sing, let me remark the horrid nature of sin. Let me with broken heart bewail my neglect of and opposition to Jesus Christ. Let me with wonder bless his name that I have not already perished in mine iniquity. Let me with earnestness accept that once debased Redeemer as my Savior, my Sovereign, my Proprietor, my God, my All. Let me learn to know Him, rejoice in Him, and with holy awe commit my whole salvation and the salvation of my country, nay, of all the ends of the earth to Him. You would sing with understanding, friends. He exposits the psalm first. Don't get me wrong. This is his application of it. But you would sing with understanding. And what man-made composition has so much depth to it as this one solitary psalm? By the way, if you use the 1650 split-leaf Psalter app, it does have a topical index of the Free Church Continuing um, uh, Psalter, and it also has uh, John Brown in there. So even if you're not singing from the 1650, you can use it to find his commentary there. So no, friends. We don't sing the bare name J-E-S-U-S, Jesus, in the psalm book, but we do sing of the name of Jesus, the name that is higher than any other. And in exchange for that, you also have heard that you enjoy wonderful things unknown to the singing of human compositions. Our union with Christ, the very presence of Christ. And so we weep for those who never have experienced that. And we must exhort them to take up these psalms and sing them so that they may enjoy the presence of Jesus singing with them as he does with us. For you, beloved, pick up the psalms, sing them knowing the presence of Christ in them. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And when you let the psalms uh, penetrate your heart and dwell in you, Christ is dwelling in you richly. Lo, I am with you. For he is dwelling in you and you in him. And the more you do it, the more pressed on your heart is his truth. Lo, I am with you always in every circumstance. So pick up the psalm book and sing them in Christ. We'll deal with more objections next time. But for now, let's please rise for prayer. Oh Lord, we thank you, you have not left us orphans, that you have not gone to a far country and left us all alone, that you have given us your spirit, you have given us your word, you have given us one another in the church. And in that word, Father, are your psalms given to us to sing in Christ, to sing of Christ, and to hear Christ sing to us. Oh Lord, our lament especially those of us who've come into the church in just 
started singing psalms as I have. Father, our lament is that your psalm book has been neglected for too long in the last few decades. Would you cause the psalm book to be picked up again by all of God's people? It is our distress, Father, and not our glory that we are known as those psalm singers. Would all of God's people be known as psalm singers once again? That the boast would go as Chrysostom once boasted, that the psalms had first, middle, and last place in every Christian assembly. We thank you, yes, that you have done that for us in this congregation. And we ask that you would do it for all of your people as well. That as we go into the highways and hedges, and we also encourage our brothers who have already expressed interest in singing the psalms, even those brethren who have never sung them before are now expressing that interest. We ask, Lord, that you would do this for all of your people. For we know that you are able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. And we know you're especially pleased to do so when we ask such things for the glory of Jesus Christ our Lord, who you have given the name that is above every other, Jehovah. And we praise you for that. And we ask this all in his precious name. Amen.